0: John nine, verses one through seven. As he passed by he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. We read that story from John about the blind guy. Jesus was walking around with his disciples and they came across this blind guy and they said, hey, was it th- is it this guy's fault or his parents' fault? And Jesus said, in this particular case, it's neither one of their faults. It was a preparation for what you are about to see. So, He spits in the dirt, mixes it up, and wipes it in the guy's eyes. Now, I'd like you to put yourself in this guy's position. Now, he didn't see the spit. He probably heard it. He didn't see the mixing it up. He might have heard it. But he definitely felt the mud in his eye. And what did Jesus say to the guy? Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, if you were the guy, what would you do? Now, I guess we might know that, or we might think that the guy knew who it was he was dealing with, though the story doesn't really say that. But, yeah, maybe he knew this is Jesus, and Jesus was kind of famous for healing people. And Jesus says, go wash in the pool, which has the name scent, which is, you know, you remember when we studied the book of John, that's kind of important. So Jesus sent the guy to the scent pool, and he says before he said that as long as i'm in the world i'm the light of the world sent by god so he sends the guy to wash in the pool named sent well anyway what would you do if you're the guy suddenly I have mud in your eyes well you might need to wash But here's what he did. He went and washed and came back seeing. Now, he might have gone seeing, but we don't know because he had mud in his eyes. But we don't know exactly the moment in which his blindness was healed. But when he came back, he could see. When the guy went to the pool, that was an exhibit of something that the guy possessed. We know something about the guy because he obeyed what Jesus said, what Jesus told him to do. And his obedience reveals something about him. And it's not just that he does whatever anyone tells him. No, it's not just that he's an obedient person. No. It tells us that he believed Jesus. How do I know he believed? Because he went and washed. That's how I know. When did he believe? That's not so easy to tell. What I'm trying to notice from this story is what Hebrews is also teaching us in the passage we've been looking at last week and this week, which is obedience and faith. Well, I can, I can define those two words in, in a distinguishable way, but they are absolutely inseparable. And in fact, in our text in Hebrews that we'll look at today, the writer of Hebrews uses them as though they mean the exact same thing. As though obedience is faith and as though faith is obedience. Because they're so inseparable. If someone believes, well, let me say it like this. Whatever you believe is the thing that determines what you do. No matter what, in all of life, what you do reflects what you trust, who you trust, and what you believe, and what you believe in. Every time and all the time. Now, I probably use this illustration way too much, but you you probably don't know it, but sitting right out there in the driveway is an envelope it's just sitting there on the ground and anyone can have it it's full it has ten thousand dollars in it it's right out there i can see it from here why are you still sitting here because you know i'm not telling you the truth you don't believe what i say if you really believed me and you know if i were uh i don't know Elon Musk, you might believe me, but you don't believe me, so your action, you're still sitting here, reflects your faith. Always, all the time, in every ordinary aspect of life, all the time, what you do is determined by who you believe, who you believe in, what you trust, who you trust, all the time. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to talk about obedience and faith. Now, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 3, so if you have a Bible, you could turn to it. Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 16, and this is kind of in the middle of where we left off last time. So I'm going to back up a little bit. And uh, you remember, he says, Take care, brothers. This is in verse 12 lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. And you remember last time we said unbelieving is the very nature of evil. A heart that does not trust in God is an evil heart. That's all. Adam and Eve became fallen and brought us all with them, by not believing the word of God, by trusting their own judgment and the lie of Satan instead of trusting and following God's word. So, anyway, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as in the rebellion. Now that sentence, we've come to share in Christ, we've come to be partners in Christ, if we hold our original confidence firm to the end, is only telling you how do you know if someone has come to be a partner in Christ. So there are those who do share, and there are those who don't share, and we can tell who is who because those who do share hold on to it to the end. Now, so we come to today's passage. There's a little Q&A here. He asks a question, he gives an answer. He asks another question, he gives the answer. He asks another question, he gives the answer. The first question, who were those who heard and yet rebelled? I don't want you to miss heard and yet rebelled. Heard, what did they hear? The word of God. How did they hear it? They saw the plagues. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the smoke and fire on the mountain. They saw Moses' face coming down from meeting with God, glowing in such a way that it hurt their eyes. So they heard. They heard the promise of God that he had in mind, installing them in the promised land that was the promised land, not because he promised it to them, but because he promised it to Abraham hundreds of years ago. So he's keeping his promise to Abraham, and he's making that promise to them. They heard, yet they rebelled. And he says, who were those people? He says, wasn't it all the people who left Egypt led by Moses? And in fact, it was pretty much all of them with one voice. In fact, when uh, Caleb and Joshua wanted to argue with them, they said, no, we can't do it. We're not doing it. The people as a whole. And Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, but God We'll do it. It's a beautiful place, and it, you're right. We, we can't do it, but God will do it. They said that right out loud, and you know what the how the people responded to that? They threatened to stone those two men. They turned it down flat. They rebelled against what they heard. Who were those? All those who left Egypt, led by Moses. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? That's the next question. Was it not with those who sinned? Sinned. And he was provoked for 40 years. And they wandered around in the wilderness. What did they do the whole time they were wandering around in the wilderness? How did they behave? Well, that's summarized by this word. He was provoked. You know the story, yeah? Uh, (laughs) Or if you don't, just go read the book of Numbers. And all the time, uh, crybabies, the whole time. Why did God bring us out here? Why did God bring us out here just to die? God just wants to kill us. What We're just wandering around. We're all going to die. And of course, they, they, they were going to die. He'd already announced that because of this rebellion. And yet, they go on. Now, right after the rebellion, and God, when God announced the judgment, you're going to wander around until you're all dead. You were worried about your children being prey to the people of the promised land. Well, you're all going to die out here in the wilderness, and the ones you said would be prey are going to get the land. That's what they said. That's what God said. Then they changed their mind. They said, oh, we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it, and they tried to do it. And they were right when they said, we can't do it. Because when they tried to do it, without God... Well, that didn't end well. So who was that? Those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness. Sinned is the word here. Those are the ones with whom God was provoked for 40 years. And then he says, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Those who were Disobedient. So now we've had two descriptions of this group of people. They sinned. Well, first they rebelled, then they sinned, and then they were disobedient. Those are the words. And then there's a conclusion. So we see that. Now you need to pay very close attention to what we see on the basis of observing that God judged this group of people because they rebelled sinned, and were disobedient. Because here's what we do. We qualify all of those things in terms of how well do do people keep the rules. It's all measured by the external behavior involved. But here's what the writer of Hebrews concludes from that little Q&A, that question answer, question, answer, question, answer. He says, so we see that they were unable to enter because of, you see the next word, unbelief. You see what I'm saying about how these terms are interchangeable? Unbelief. Why were they not able to enter into the promised land and enter into the rest of God unbelief you see their sin their disobedience was the consequence of their unbelief what they did was a reflection of what they trusted who they trusted what they believed who they believed in and so they were unable to enter you see they were right there on the border what would have been the response of belief? What would have been the response of trusting in the word of God? Just keep walking. Just go. All The, the only thing that faith required of them was to continue walking and watch and see what God did. Because God promised He said, "I'll do it." They said, "We can't do it." God said, "That's right. I'll do it." And all the, a believing heart, all a believing heart would do is just keep going. They would hear the reports, they would hear Joshua and Caleb say, "Yeah, I mean, these people, there's no way we would defeat them, but God said He would do it for us." And they would just keep walking. How would belief be shown? Entering his rest. Simple. In fact, it's so simple, we want to make it more complicated than it is. It's just enter his rest. Now, this is important when we're applying this in the Christian life. When we're sitting in a situation where there's a threat, where the government is saying, look, if you're a Christian, we are going to make your life difficult. On purpose and for that reason. And so there's a threat, and so they're going, Oh, maybe we don't really want to be Christians. And the writer of Hebrews is going, What? You sound like those people. Don't be those people. God has made you a promise in Christ, God says He will do it. Don't be like those people in the desert just didn't keep walking. Keep walking. Keep walking. They're not able to enter because of unbelief. Now, there's a little chain of events that is in here. You hear the voice of God, you trust God, and then what? If you hear the voice of God and you trust God, you will obey God. If you hear the voice of God and you don't trust God, you will not obey God. It's pretty simple. Obeying him is entering his rest. Now, we want to make obeying him a big, giant, long list of things we have to accomplish when he's saying to us in Christ, Christ has already accomplished everything, rest. He's going to say that even more as we go. And those who hear his voice, trust him, and obey him, just simply expressing their faith, are partners in Jesus. It's simple, simple. Now, in chapter 4, then, he says, therefore. So on the basis of all that, what? <laughs> it's kind of striking, actually. While the promise of entering his rest still, still stands, let us fear. Is that what you expected? It's like he says, <clears throat> therefore, be afraid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let us, that's important, us fear lest any of you, any one of you, Let us fear lest any one of you should fail to reach it. What are we afraid of? Now, this is not a commandment to you, Christian, to be afraid that you might be lost. It's a commandment for us, the community of Christians, to worry about whether anyone here might be lost. You see the difference? That's the thing. That's us fear for the one. Together, look out for the individual. Because it's possible that someone here is not a partner yet. and might consider falling away, is not yet actually trusting in Christ. So, look out, everyone, look out. He says, while the promise of entering his rest still tends, let us fear lest any of you should fail to reach it. For good news came to us just as it did them, the ancient Israelites in the desert. Good news came to us, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Oh, so they heard the good news, but they didn't receive the promise of the good news. <clears throat> Why? because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So there were a few that listened. There were some that believed, that were ready to go. Just a few. But most of them did not have the faith. Some did, some didn't. See, good news is only good if you trust it. If you trust it. If I tell you, hey, that envelope, it's out there. It's got the 10,000, and whoever gets there first can have it. None of you are receiving the benefit of that promise because you don't believe it. Good news is only good news if you trust it. And I am lying to you, so you're wise not to trust me. But when God speaks, he does not lie. And so his promises are true. But I had to keep walking. And I, qu- I stopped walking because I didn't believe it. And there, it looked like trouble. Good news is good if you trust it. And what we mean is <laughs> if you just receive the goodness of it. Just receive it. Just say yes. Just accept it. I could give you a birthday present. This is not likely for me to give anyone a birthday present, but I could give you a birthday present. And you could take my present, which would be nicely wrapped, and put it on the counter in your house. Now, we would all regard that as a stupid thing to do. You could even say, I could be handing you the birthday present, and you could say, no thanks, keep it. I don't trust you with your birthday presents. So you keep that. I think there's maybe like a snake or something in that box. I'm not opening that box. You keep that birthday present. I don't want it. Now, if you do trust me, if you think I'm good and I give good presents, you believe something. You trust me. And you take the present and you open it and you receive the benefit of whatever the gift is. If you don't trust me, you don't. You could, I could be giving you a really nice gift and you don't trust me, you don't get it. And that's what was going on with these people. God was giving them the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They brought back the grapes. You remember? They brought back this bunch of grapes. It took two guys to carry it. It was a good land, but they don't get it because they don't believe. They don't keep walking. So, what is the good news? That we have heard. Well, it was right there in the first verse of chapter 4. The promise of entering his rest. That is the good news. And his is referring to God in this case. He goes on. We who have believed enter that rest. We who have believed. Enter that rest. In other words, another way of describing the act of trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus, being born again, all of those ways we talk about a person being converted to Christ. Another way of talking about that is entering his rest. Have you entered his rest? When the proposal of Christ was made to you, the promise of entering his rest, did you enter it? (laughs) Did you keep walking? Did you trust in it? Did you say, yes, I'll have that. Thank you. We who have believed enter that rest. And as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they, those who did not believe, shall not enter my rest although his works are finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. The point the writer is making here is God is rested. And we have the promise of joining him in Rest. We have the promise of joining Him in rest. Now, if you think of the Christian life as a chore, you need to hear this. The Christian life is a rest, not a chore. Jesus said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the gospel. It's good news. It's not an additional chore or burden on you. It's a rest. So, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience well I just want him to make up his mind is it unbelief or disobedience he said already they didn't enter because of unbelief and now he says they didn't enter because of disobedience oh they're the same again he appoints to a certain day today saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted today if you hear his voice so hundreds of years later David writes the psalm today He says, don't be like those people who didn't enter. Be diligent to enter. So the writer's making this point that the opportunity is still present. This is a present opportunity. It's reiterated by David, and the writer points out here that if Joshua had finished this job, you know, Joshua's the one who actually did then lead the people into the promised land yeah and but he says mm, not done because if Joshua had done it then David couldn't say it's still to be done that's his point so then now i'm on verse 9 so then there remains a sabbath rest for the people of god <clears throat> I just want to be very careful because many people misread this to say, so then, there's still a Sabbath day for the people of God. That is not what it says. So then, there's a continuing burdensome obligation to rest from labor one day every week, and it better be Saturday. Or some people say, and it better be Sunday. That is not what this text says. So we could save that argument for another time. What this text says is there's still a rest to get on, in on. And it's a rest. It's not a burden. It's not a law. It's a liberty. For whoever has God's entered God's rest, oh, please hear this. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested. Has also rested from his works. For by grace you have been saved, and through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Or as Paul writes to Titus, not by works of righteousness that we have done has he saved us, but according to his own mercy. (laughs) This is good news, everyone. This is good news. Whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works. You are joining God in a state of rest when you come to Christ. You are joining God in a state of rest when you come to Christ. And then we can work hard in a state of rest. We become obedient and restfully obedient and restfully diligent. You know what he says next. It's stunning. Therefore, let us strive Okay, so we've entered, we've joined God in a state of rest. Therefore, let us strive. Oh, but he says, strive to enter that rest. If you want to strive for something, strive to enter the rest of God provided by the sacrifice of Christ. Strive to enter the rest of God provided by the sacrifice of Christ. Keep walking into his grace. Just say yes. Just say yes, Lord, thank you. I'll have it. I'll open it. I'll live from there. I don't live for it. I live from it. I don't work to get it. I work because I have it. Because it has been graciously given to me by the good grace of God in Christ. Oh my goodness, let us strive to enter that rest. And what he's saying to us in the church is, hey, there might be people here. There could be people here who haven't gotten it yet, who don't understand that they could rest from works, that they don't have to deserve anything from God because Jesus did for them, and they can just take it and not be like these people who heard and then didn't. Take it We end up punished. Let us strive to enter that rest so that no one fall <laughs> in the same sort of disobedience. Now again, disobedience. Disobedience is simply the natural outcome of failure to trust. I don't trust God I don't obey God. I mean it's just like your dad. If your dad is one of those guys who's abusive who you can't trust then you're not so inclined to obey him because he might mislead you into something bad because he's not a good person. If your father is a good person and provides for you and in generally in general is an assistant helper Provider, guard for you. Then when he asks you to do something, you can trust him that it's good for you. Then you obey. If you don't trust him, you're, it's much harder to obey. If you do trust him, then you obey him. And sometimes fathers say to their children, just trust me, this is really best. And you either trust him or you don't. With God, it's the same thing. We either trust him or we don't. Is he good or not? If he's good, then he can be trusted. And we trust him in Christ. How do we know the goodness of God? How do we know the goodness? I mean, look around. It could be hard to make a case for the goodness of God. Well, here's the one actually fully satisfying answer to the question, is God good? Jesus died for you. The Son of God, the Eternal One, died, became you, and suffered your judgment because He loves you. That God is good. That God is good. And to be trusted... And so we trust him, and so we follow him. Today, if you hear the word of God, believe it, trust it, follow it, and keep following it all the way. That's partnership with Christ. How do we know if you trust in Christ? better way to ask this, how do I know if I've really trusted in Christ? Sometimes I wonder, how about you? Do you ever wonder if you really if you're really trusting in Christ? Here's how you know. You pay attention to the word of God, you draw near to God, and you hold fast to Christ. Those are the three things in the book of Hebrews. You pay attention to Jesus, you draw near to God in Christ, and you hold fast to Christ. So here's how we know if you have trusted Christ, you keep on trusting Christ. That's it. That's it. If we try to evaluate it based on, you know, how's your righteousness? How's your good behavior? Let's do it that way. Fail. I don't see a single one of you that passes that test. In Christ, you don't have to pass that test. He passed it for you. So I could evaluate you know, the fruit of my Christian life, and <clears throat> depending on whether I'm optimistic or pessimistic, I could ju- judge it either way. I could brag and say, yeah, I'm pretty righteous. And everyone else would know instantly, as soon as I said that, that I'm wrong. Or I could really honestly evaluate my life and correctly conclude that I am not righteous, even now after years and years of trusting in Christ. See, that's just not a very good way of judging it. The question is, when I look at my life and I say, I'm just lost, then what? Where do I look? Who do I go to? I go to Jesus. I got nowhere else. I got nowhere else. When I look at my life and I say, and the devil says to me, You can't even call yourself a Christian, look at you. And he's right. I only have one answer to that question, and that is Jesus died for my sins. I only have the one answer. So I pay attention to Christ, I draw near to God in Christ. And I hang on for dear life. And people who know Jesus, who have trusted Jesus, that's what they do. They always do that. Well, they always come around to that, even after they fail doing it for a while. The way you can tell if someone has trusted Christ is, do they trust Christ? It's that simple. So, how do you know if you trust in Christ? Well, you stick with Jesus. That's all. So if we look around in the church and we think, hey, there's somebody over here that doesn't look like they're sticking with Jesus, we should be afraid. And we should say to that person, hey, are you with Jesus? Are you, are you good? Are you trusting in Christ? Do you understand the goodness of God's grace to you in Christ? Do you, are you thinking of looking elsewhere? Be afraid. Be afraid. How do we trust how do we know we trust in Jesus? We pay attention to Jesus, we draw near to God in Jesus, and we hold fast to Jesus. And we do so and we keep doing so. Because someone who really gets the gospel cannot unget it. It's just not possible. If you think you've ungotten it, then you never really had it in the first place is something, you missed something. If you can pass up the goodness of God, if you can walk right up to the border of the promised land and go, yeah, never mind. And it's all really simple. Is God good or not? Is his promise true or false? Can he be trusted or not trusted? If I trust him, I keep trusting him. I keep trusting him. Next week I'm going to you know, fail in some stupid way and I'm going to have to go, oh, Lord, help me. The Lord helps me when I say that. And my salvation is safe and secure in Christ. And we need to watch out for each other so that we encourage each other to remain diligent or in case maybe someone's here, hasn't really gotten it. If, if you're right now realizing that might be you, what are you going to do? what will you do? Trust in Jesus. That's what I would say. Trust in Jesus. Now, if you're hearing this message and you have just made that decision, I really would love for you to tell me. <laughs> that would be, that, you would really make my day if you just came to that realization today. But even if you have been in Christ for your whole life, what is it you do? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Draw near to God and Jesus, hold on to Jesus. Pretty simple. Father, we give you thanks because your grace is so good, so amazing, so great. We love you, Lord. Help us to reflect that in loving each other as well and loving the people around us in the world. Thank you, Lord. Amen.